Hi, and thank you for clicking to listen to this episode. Before we get stuck in, I wanted to let you know that we have a free event coming up on returning from maternity leave, where our previous Leaders with Babies fellows, all parents who've returned to work um, from maternity leave or share parental leave or adoption leave, share what has worked for them with the hope of it being really helpful to other parents who are about to return from maternity leave or have just done so. If you know someone who could benefit, then please let them know that they can sign up on leadersplus.org.uk forward slash events. And as you know, the applications for the Leaders Plus Cross-Sector Fellowship are open now. Every year, lots of our podcast listeners join the fellowship and I really enjoy getting to know some of you better and interact with you and see that you're actual people. You'll get a senior leader mentor, a really awesome group of peers, structured career development support, and very importantly, time to think about what you want in your career and family life and how to get there. If you want to get involved, go to leadersplus.org.uk so you can find all the info there. Let's get stuck into the episode. One of those is this notion of continually connecting to a higher purpose or some longer term goal that accommodates competing demands. And so we use this metaphor of how if you're standing on a boat and you're feeling the kind of rocky seas, one set of recommendations is to look out to the horizon in order to stabilize you. I think that's true in our lives too, that we live in the rockiness of the moment. But if we look out to the horizon of our longer term, bigger picture goals, we can kind of see that stability that helps to bring back into the stabilizing of the moment. Welcome to the Big Careers Small Children podcast. I'm Felina Hefti, and I believe absolutely no one should have to choose between becoming a CEO and enjoying their young children. For far too long, amazing people have found themselves stuck on the career ladder when they have children. And this can lead to gender inequality at the top and the same stale, mostly male, middle-class people leading our organizations and our world. I want us all together to change this. And in fact, I hope that many of you listening to this podcast will progress to the most senior leadership roles possible, where you make decisions that make our world better. Beyond the podcast, I'm also the CEO and founder of the award-winning social enterprise Leaders Plus. If you want support from amazing like-minded peers, if you want to join our free events, we've got one coming up about returning to work in January, or if you want to find out about our world-class career development program, our fellowship programs for parents, then sign up to our monthly newsletter on leadersplus.org.uk forward slash newsletter. Today's guest is Wendy Smith. We talk about why sometimes we don't need to choose between two things we love and the research between embracing and pursuing two options at the same time. I am Wendy Smith. I am a professor at the University of Delaware. I am the faculty director of our Women's Leadership Initiative. I am author of the recently released book, Both and Thinking, and looking forward to talking about that. And I am the mother to three fabulous children. I have two 16-year-old twins, a boy and a girl. I have a 10-year-old son, and my husband and I live in Philadelphia and raise our three kids and our dog together. Wonderful. The dog is very important to mention, absolutely. And, and we discussed that he might make an appearance, which is wonderful. He might. He might. And can you tell me, what did you used to assume about how to combine a big career with young children or 
in your case, teenage children, that you don't believe anymore? I think when I was growing up, I assumed it wasn't possible. And I don't believe that anymore. I think there's lots of different models of how it's possible. And so it's not a question of if, but how. I also assumed that having kids was something that was expected. And I also know that that is also not the case. So while we're here to have a conversation about how to navigate children in the workplace with high power careers, I'm also aware that some people don't have and have chosen not to have children. And that's a fine choice as well. Completely agree. My sister, who is listening to this podcast and always gives me a feedback, will really appreciate that you mentioned that because she doesn't have children. <laughs> well, and I will just say one thing about that. So as, as I mentioned, I lead a women's leadership initiative and we run executive education programs for women. And this topic, and we can certainly talk more about it as we go forward, but this topic of creating allyship across women who both have children and those that don't is actually a, a poignant tension that comes up, one that people are almost afraid to address, but I think one that's incredibly important if we're going to be in the workplace together and support one another. Mm, very interesting. Let's dig right into that. What conclusions, if any, have you come to about that? It's such a tricky topic. I mean, this is probably it, isn't it? The creative tension. <laughs> There's no simple answer. <laughs> it is a tricky topic. And as we'll explore together, the core of the work that I do, the core of the book that we wrote looks at this idea of both and. How do we accommodate competing perspectives in a creative way rather than in a detrimental way? And this is one of them. And one of the things that we found early on in running this Women's Leadership Executive Education Program was just how poignant that topic was and how difficult it was to have conversations around it. And so while increasingly we can talk about sisterhood and allyship across race or even across sexual preference or across socioeconomic status, this notion of talking about parenting was actually quite difficult to talk about, in part because those people with parents felt like, oh, you just, I mean, those people with kids felt like, oh, you just don't understand. And those people without kids felt really judged or pushed out. And the truth is, is that the more that we can open those conversations to understand where each other comes from, the more that we can provide support for one another so that those that don't have kids can be empathetic and also part of the solution rather than the problem. And those that have kids are not resenting those that don't. I think there's a really important allyship that we need to think about together and value that everybody's coming to this conversation from different places. Mm, definitely. But let's go back a step. For those of the listeners who haven't come across your work, what is a creative tension for you? Yeah. So we suggest that our world is filled with tensions, tug of wars, challenges, dilemmas. I mean, put your issues, whatever we want to call them for your listeners. I, I just invite them to take a step back and think, what are the issues, challenges that they're facing in their lives? And those could be really broad. You know, in our personal lives, it might be questions about our careers and where we want to take our careers. It might be questions about our own learning and whether we want to engage in learning while we're performing and doing something well, be heads up or heads down in our careers. And indeed, into the topic of this, this podcast and your conversations, when we talk about tensions, the one that comes up so often 
and this is for men and women, when we're doing workshops and asking people to talk about tensions, the notion of work-family tension or work-life tension comes up all the time. And it comes up for people, again, around raising children. It comes up for people around navigating elderly parents. It comes up for people around navigating all kinds of life demands, possibilities, and options along with work. And so, but in particular, this question about work family when it comes to parenting is poignant. It feels like an ongoing tug of war. It feels like we are constantly navigating challenges around it. And as I said earlier, our argument around this is that these tensions exist. It's not if they exist. It's not if we experience them. It's how we deal with them. And our typical response to dealing with competing demands is to feel like they are detrimental, feel like they're a problem, feel like we have to deal with that problem by getting rid of it and by making a choice and by what we talk about as either or thinking, really pitting opposing ideas against one another and choosing between them. And so if we're dealing with work-life tensions or work-family tensions, we feel like we have to make a clear choice and move on. And there's a whole lot of psychology, and we can unpack some of that about why we feel like we have to make a choice, this kind of either or choosing approach. There's also a whole lot of psychology that shows that once we've made a choice, we tend to want to be consistent in those choices. And I think this is the one that tends to be really problematic for those of us that are parents in the workplace, because we feel like we're being inconsistent all the time. We feel like there's this ongoing pitting of how we make decisions about our resources, about whether we're spending more time with our family or whether we're spending more time with our work, and then our identities, how we identify ourselves. And we're often, you know, that feel for consistency kind of keeps us locked in these tug of wars. And what we find is that that kind of thinking leads us into these detrimental, vicious cycles with our tug of wars, that if we shift our approach, if we shift our thinking to a both and approach, and we can talk more about what that means, it enables us to open up all kinds of different possibilities and to use these tensions as a source of creativity rather than as a source of obstacles, detriments, problems. Mm. Yeah, hearing this is music to my ears because I see and I hear of so many parents who do feel that they have to make a choice between children and career progression. And then as a result of that, take consistent decisions, which means they end up being stuck in their careers. And the result is not enough women in senior leadership and not enough men who want to be in, you know, involved in their children's lives in senior leadership. So what you're saying is music to my ears, but just practically what does then a both and, did you say it's called both and? Yeah. Model look like for combining both the senior career and young children. What Practically, what does that look like? Does the messiness go away? The messiness does not go away. So I'll just empathize with, it's not that it is easy. It's that it's more enabling. You know, I remember when, so as I was saying, I have twins and, I, and they're 16. And I remember when they were born. And I remember being in conversation with my girlfriends about this moment when our children were born and really feeling that sense that we tend to of, we're not doing anything well and feeling like, this is going to lead us to a set of decisions. And so I think there's two places where these decisions kind of emerge for us. And it's important, I think, to unpack these two, two different places. One is how we allocate our resources, especially our time. So are we spending tonight 
finishing a project at work or are we home for dinner, you know, with our family for dinner? Like that that time is a scarce resource or we experience it as a scarce resource and we have to figure out how to allocate it. The other big one is our identity and how we understand and see ourselves. And this is where the issue of consistencies tends to come in because again, what psychology will show us is that we expect of ourselves to be consistent and other people expect us to be consistent. And that's true for any way that we claim our identities. And so if we claim our identities as a great mom or a great parent, then if we miss a soccer game, well, we're no longer a great parent. Or if we miss a football game, I should say, we're no longer a great parent, you know, or if we claim ourselves as a great employee and we have to step out for our children's needs, well, does that mean that we're no longer the great employee or the great career person that we are? And so I think both of those issues come up for us, which is what leads us into this either oaring along the way. So both and looks like a different approach, both in terms of how we think about resources and resourcing and how we think about our identity and, you know, the way that we identify what it looks like is not seeing these two competing and they do compete for our time. They compete for identity. These two opposing experiences in our lives only as contradictory. It's, it's recognizing the ways in which they're different and the different demands on our time and acknowledging that they can be interdependent, that they, can inform one another, that we can experience this sense of where being great at work actually enables us to be even more effective as parents and being effective parents enables us to be more productive at work. And then the question is, how do we get there? How do we get to that more interdependent approach? What does that actually look like? Because it looks like it it is pretty messy, but you know, the question is, what does that look like and how do we get there? Mm, Interesting. I think there's something about the either or that probably happens because people are seeking a refuge and often, so I have to admit, there have been moments after I had my third absolutely lovely baby, but he has been ill a lot. And at the very beginning, there have been moments where I briefly crossed my mind whether I should be a housewife. That moment passed very quickly, but it's come out of a desperation where I thought, well, actually... Let's just have either family or career. And I mean, even that I'm saying this publicly on a podcast that is called Big Career, Small Children. I hope, you know, I think, yeah, I, I just, I think the reason why people go for either or approach is because they think it's a strategy for stress relief, essentially. But what have you found in your research? Is there a way of having that both and way of living that isn't completely overwhelming? Yeah. So I think the important piece is that it is a form of stress relief because we do feel a sense of stress when we have these competing expectations and there's a lot of uncertainty. So this taps into, we feel uncertainty because we don't know about the future. There's an open question about how am I going to spend my time It's or how am I going to think about myself or what am I going to do? So where we go to. And because there's uncertainty, we go to the place that there's fear that we just don't know what's going to happen. And where we go to is to alleviate that uncertainty. We go to this place of making a choice. And that's a really natural approach. And it does alleviate the anxiety in the short term. And it also gives us this bit of a sense of control. Like we are in control of the situation unto which there is all of this uncertainty. And we like to go to the, you know, the moment when the pandemic hit as an example of 
just how much we will want certainty and control. Because if we go back to March 2020, when there was so much uncertainty and so much in which that uncertainty really was quite consequential, the experience that we all had is we wanted clear answers, we wanted consistent answers, we wanted to be in control of the situation, like all of that, because we felt just so uncomfortable living in the uncertainty. And so I want to just acknowledge that indeed that kind of decision-making, that short-term decision-making does alleviate, or let me say it differently, that either-or decision-making does alleviate that emotional anxiety for the short term, which is why it's so natural for so many of us to do it. I mean, I remember I tell this story in the book about the moment when I went back to work with my twins and I was standing at the coffee shop and I was, you know, desperate for my cup of coffee because I was exhausted already from the morning routine. And I remember having that same conversation that you were talking about in my head of like, why am I doing this? I feel like I'm not doing a good job at work. I'm not doing a good job at home. I'm handing my kids over to a nanny when they were babies to take care of both of them. Like, why? Why am I, why am I living this? You know, and I also remember thinking like, there's got to be a better way to this. And in the short term, giving up my career might have been a better way to deal with that anxiety in the moment. And what we find in this kind of either or thinking or these in these tensions and tug of wars more broadly is that that kind of benefit is what we say limited at best and detrimental at worst. Because while it leads to the short-term alleviation of anxiety in the long term, it leads us down these vicious cycles where we get stuck focusing on a narrow part of our lives without seeing the broader picture. And by the way, I want to be, again, really empathetic. Some people do choose to step away from their career and be with their family, and that too is a fine choice. But for some of us, that kind of a choice gets us stuck in one way of being and fails to see the bigger picture. And what we know from our research is that accommodating competing demands is, in fact, an option that allows us to be more fully present, engaging, holistic, interdependent rather than kind of thinking about these things as a binary. So it is true that indeed we get stuck in that approach. And I want to be clear and say this up front that both and does not mean and and. And what I mean by that is that in the context of work and family, oftentimes what it feels like is we're just piling on more and more and more onto our plate in the name of both and That's not what we mean by both and. We don't mean that we just keep piling on more and more. What we mean is taking an approach in which we can acknowledge what's valuable about both components of this space, in this case, our work and career and our family and the rest of our lives, and be able to find solutions in which we can bring those together, in which we can accommodate these alternative perspectives and bring them together for a better, more holistic approach. And Again, I'm happy to sort of talk through some of the more specific strategies to do that, but it's not, we just keep piling more and more on our plates. I'd be really interested to hear about your specific strategies to feel at ease in that both and space. Yeah. So I think there's three components. So, well, let me just, I'll take a step back. We wrote this book because people kept talking about both and and all these different spaces for what leaders need to do, for what we need to do in our political environment, for what we need to do in our work-life environment. And what we wanted to do was help people recognize that both and is valuable. So so we sort of think about it as a two-step piece. The first is 
It's valuable to move away from either or into both and thinking to get to better decisions. And then the second piece and sort of the bigger piece for this book is, okay, well, if we're going to apply both and, which we're now seeing all over the place, people talking about both and and yes and and accommodating competing demands and the language that we use of living in paradox, where paradoxes are these, this yin yang, you know, both components black and white, right and wrong, all, you know, together. So people were using this language of both and paradox, living in that. How do we do it effectively? And in the book, we spend the sort of main content of the book, the middle of the book saying there's sort of four big sets of tools, which we put together to how to do this. And I can kind of walk you through them at a really high level. And again, do a deeper dive, but the The first piece that we talk about is that in order to engage with both ends, we have to change our mindsets and assumptions. When we do, we call that bucket assumptions. We label the whole thing A, B, C, D so people can remember it. So it's assumptions, boundaries, comfort, and dynamics. And so assumptions is how do we think about these issues? And it's about our mindsets. And the core practice here is starting by changing the question. And so what we find in our research is that we tend to confront competing demands with an either or question. Should I do A or B? Should I focus on my work or focus on being a good parent? Which one am I going to choose as my main approach? And just changing the question to how can I accommodate these competing demands simultaneously? How can I both accommodate being a parent and being a successful career person opens up all kinds of new possibilities into thinking about the possibility space for ourselves and invites us to think more creatively. So that's the first step. And maybe I'll just pause there for a minute. No, I think it's really interesting when you just mentioned those A, B, C, D. It's so weird. I had like this weird deja vu moment because so in our fellowship program, those A, B, C, D, that's exactly, you know, what is covered. I mean, I'm not quite sure about the, if I understand the dynamics element, but from our perspective, we look at it from workplace politics, which may not be what you're covering, but I think it's just so fascinating that you're starting with assumptions. We do the exact same thing. So we get people to really unpick what are their assumptions? Are they true? Are they not? Are they limiting? Are they helpful? What could be alternative true assumptions and so on? And it's such a simple thing to do. It really is so simple. But it's so powerful and it's so weird that we did that based on some good people suggesting it and a hunch. And now you're saying, oh, yeah, this is like a key thing of how to live both. And so, yeah, it's it's a weird moment for me. (laughs) Yeah, well, I do think that how we, you know, we like to quote the psychologist Paul Watzlawick, who said, the problem is not the problem. The problem is the way we think about the problem or the way we frame the problem. And so that there is something very powerful in how we frame the issues in our world and whether we give ourselves the space to shift our mindset around it. Our mindsets matter. You know, so many of the parents listening might be familiar with Carol Dweck's work because that has informed so much of how we raise our kids. And that work looks at, do our kids adopt a growth mindset where they see, or and do we more broadly, in which we see challenges as opportunities for learning? Or do we adopt a fixed mindset where we assume we're either good or not good at something? And therefore, if we're not good at it, we walk away from it. And so I don't know if your listeners have 
experience that, at least here in the United States, that idea has infiltrated K through 12 learning. And that work has shown just how powerfully our mindsets inform our actions. We find the same thing in our research around how our mindsets inform how we think about problem solving in this both and way. And we've done some research. And when I say we, I'm talking about my co-author, Marianne Lewis. She and I have done some research with our colleagues, Ella Marone-Specter and Josh Keller and Amy Ingram, Ella, who's in France and Josh, who's in Australia and Amy, who's here in the United States. And we've developed this paradox mindset inventory where we have explored what does it mean to have a paradox mindset to adopt both and thinking? And what are the implications? And very briefly, we find that, you know, we, we've translated this inventory into Hebrew and into Chinese and tested it with people around the world. And we find that that there's two components to adopting a paradox mindset. Or the first is that we actually are willing to see tensions and experience them and not hide them under the rug. And the second is that we are able to switch from this either or problem solving, needing to make a choice approach into this both and expansive, being able to see possibilities and live in the uncertainty approach. And that people who adopt this kind of paradox mindset where they experience tensions and are able to adopt this both and thinking, you know, they're more productive at work, they're more creative at work, they're more generative, they're more, they're happier, you know, along the way. And so we do see that there's real power in being able to switch our mindsets. And that's only the first step. Interesting. And I'm just thinking someone might be listening to this who is absolutely exhausted, maybe even cried on the way home from work because it's just such a pressure. In reality, can I ask, and we'll can cut it out if you don't want to answer, but in reality, are you managing to lift this feeling okay and at ease about both a big career and a young child? Or do you also have moments of complete desperation? And if yes, how do you deal with that? Because a mindset is a great thing, but then it's all like, oh, it's your fault. You should fix your mindset. I'm not saying that's what you're saying, but can you share a bit about how you personally deal with that? Yeah, I do. I totally have moments of desperation. Absolutely. I think that's part of the process. So I, I think there's a couple of, there's so many places of what are the ways that we take care of ourselves to navigate that challenge, right? So an important component to us then is the other side of the equation, which is what we call comfort or the emotions, which is what you're pointing to. And importantly here, when we talk about navigating a both-and approach, we don't say that it's easy. Rather, we talk about finding comfort in the discomfort. And the important piece there is knowing that living in these competing demands is actually uncomfortable. And we're not trying to hide that under the rug, or we're not trying to get rid of that. In fact, what we find in our research and the research of others is that the more we try and pretend that those things don't exist, the more that they come back actually to be poignant in our lives. So that, you know, the idea that if we pretend that we're not frustrated or angry or overwhelmed and just assume that we should be, you know, this should all be easy, then those feelings of overwhelm, those feelings of anger, those feelings of frustration actually become more poignant in impacting our lives. And that instead of trying to reject those emotions, the question is, how can we accept them and honor them? And so we talk about acceptance. Partially, uh, one of my favorite authors is Tara Brock, who is a Buddhist psychologist and writes about this idea of radical acceptance, the idea of just saying, 
yes to our experiences and not denying them. Yes, I'm overwhelmed. Yes, I'm feeling like I'm failing in every area. Yes. And it's through that acknowledgement that we can start to diminish the weight of those difficult emotions on our experiences so that they're not defining our actions. We're, we're sort of giving them their own space. Now, that's just the starting point. I also think that to give ourselves to manage our emotional health, we also have to be in community with other people, recognizing that these challenges are real and that they don't go away. And I think that's an important component as well, whether it's for women, the set of girlfriends that they have around them, for men as well, the need for you know a group of people who recognize and acknowledge that these tensions are real and that they're part of what we experience. And so I think that's an, a really, I, I'm so glad you said that because I do think that being overwhelmed is a real experience for parents in the workplace and that one of the places of you know the assumption that we shouldn't be overwhelmed is problematic but rather the assumption that we do feel overwhelmed and we can turn to a group of people to support us in that overwhelm i think is more generative and enabling i will say i have a group of girlfriends that i'm constantly connecting with to just recognize what's hard and, and to normalize it can i ask why did you keep going what is it i can imagine Twins must be very intense. And I also know the maternity benefits in the US are, are not lengthy. Yeah. Why did you keep going? You could have easily given up your career or not pushed forward so hard. I kept going because I saw in the long term the possibility of what being both career oriented and family oriented could do for both and why, how they were both connected in for me into my longer term goals and values. And so if we were to go back, if we talk about B and boundaries, for us, boundaries are the structures and the scaffolding that we put in place in order to keep both anding. And one of those is this notion of continually connecting to a higher purpose or some longer term goal that accommodates competing demands. And so we use this metaphor of how if you're standing on a boat and you're feeling the kind of rocky seas, one set of recommendations is to look out to the horizon in order to stabilize you. I think that's true in our lives too, that we live in the rockiness of the moment. But if we look out to the horizon of our longer term, bigger picture goals, we can kind of see that stability that helps to bring back into the stabilizing of the moment. And, you know, there were many times that for myself, I would pull out a journal and I would rewrite the exact same line of what are my long-term big picture goals? Why am I bothering to do this, you know, chaotic world that I'm living in? And by looking out to this longer-term bigger picture, and for me, it was the potential to have a productive academic career where I could have generate ideas and insights that could inform and enable people to be people and organizations to be more impactful in the world that we live in. And when I saw that possibility, I also saw what it meant to teach my children the values that I have about how I want to live in the world, to teach them about the value that I have about being a creative contributor, and to see them see me in this light of rate, you know, being able to see their own careers through that light. And so I could see how these things come together and I could see how the conversations we have at the dinner table generate and enable my kids to be more critical thinkers about the world that we live in. And I can see how 
parenting has made me a much better professor, a much better, you know, I teach leadership, more effective at teaching leadership, much better at doing the kind of leadership that I do in my own world. So I could see those moments come together, even though in the moment it feels so hard. But there were many moments where I had to go back and say, why am I doing this? And I'll say one more thing about the big picture sort of overarching vision, because earlier I was saying that part of both anding is making smarter decisions, not adding more and more and more. And in thinking about the long-term goals, that's also super helpful in how I think about what I say no to. So part of what's challenging for me is that so many great opportunities come our way. So many demands come our way. How do I say yes to the ones that I think are going to be important and no to the ones that I think are not going to be important. Oftentimes to do so, I do two things. One is that I consult kind of my 10-year future vision of myself and ask that person, will I be happy that I said yes to this expectation 10 years from now? Or will, you know, having said yes to this only pull me down and, and get me to be, you know, so being able to say no, that 10-year future person helps me say no. I mean, the other thing that I will say is that I also, and I highly recommend this for anybody, but particularly for busy working parents, I have what I call a no committee in my life, which are other people to help me decide what to say yes to and what to say no to. Because oftentimes it's hard for us to decide on our own whether an opportunity or an experience is something that we, you know, that are really important or one that just sort of seems like we have to say yes to it because we have to. So I'm a huge fan of saying no and finding resources that help us to do that. That's really fascinating. And honestly, it's so strange because it feels like you've been part of the consulting panel when we've written our program because we ask people and we force them no matter how busy they are as part of the fellowship program to write a vision and to make that but it's really interesting that then you use that vision as a base for saying saying no I mean that's the obvious next step isn't it it's really powerful you mentioned about the dynamics as well can you say a bit more about that Yes. And I think this is one that becomes particularly important to go back to the challenge that we noted about consistency. When we talk about dynamics, so where boundaries are these kind of stable structures that help kind of keep us in place. And the boundaries are things like our higher purpose. The other boundary, by the way, before I tell you about dynamics is that we have guardrails in our lives that keep us from going too far in either direction. And in the case of work and family, we can, some of us can easily go too far, particularly those of us that are workaholics and become too committed to our work and sort of lose sight of the needs of our family, you know, and then we burn out. And so the other kind of piece of the boundaries is creating guardrails where we don't go too far in either direction. And those boundaries and guardrails could look like a lot of different things to a lot of different people. For some people, those boundaries are, I turn off my phone and my work you know, email when I get home, or I put my phone in a basket, and I, my work phone in a basket, and I don't touch it, or there's no phones at the dinner table. Or in our family, we are very committed to Friday night to Saturday night, there is no phones, no computers on in our house, it's family time. And that has been incredibly hard for me to hold that boundary because when there are deadlines, I really just want to get back on my computer and finish what I do. And it's been incredibly productive for me to know that I have this coveted space where my family spends 
really valued time together so that even if during the week I have a particularly busy week or if I'm traveling, I know that that time is coveted family time where we have dinner together, we play board games a lot, whatever we do, it means that I know that time is is valued. So there's something really important about those boundaries and guardrails that prevent us from going too far in one direction or another. I love that concept of guardrails. I'm definitely going to implement that. But especially, it almost sounds like a Shabbat, the one from Friday night to Saturday. Is, is it? Exactly. It does. That is where it comes from for oh. us. And I know people who do it for a variety of different reasons. Absolutely. Yeah, it is this kind of Sabbath experience where we just sort of hold out this one day together. I think that's so special. It's weird how suddenly unless you have a particular religious conviction, the days can just merge into one. And I recently I've really tried to make, so I'm a Christian and yeah. not extremely adherent, but, you know, somewhat making an effort. But so I've been trying to make a Sunday very special by making it the cake day where we bake cake. And obviously, as you can imagine, that has gone down reasonably well <laughs> with my children. So yeah, it's not quite the same in terms of boundaries, but I really love that you're making some specific time that this is the special special time. That's such an interesting. I will say the benefit of doing it also means that I feel less guilty if during the week I am less available. Now that's not to be that I'm never available, but if there's a particularly busy week or a particularly busy night, or if I miss something, I also know that there's times where I don't miss things. And so this actually kind of leads us to, you were asking about D and dynamics. And, you know, an important idea that we know about living into the both and, and this one's particularly important in the work-life tension, is that there's different sort of outcomes associated with both and. When, when people think about a both and, they often think that there's this ideal win-win situation where both competing ideas find some synergistic integrative outcome. And you know, that sort of creative integration win-win happens sometimes. We talk about it, we, we, we use the metaphor of a mule because mules are these biological hybrids that are these ideal integrations between, you know, stronger than a donkey, smarter than a horse. We've been breeding them for 3,000 years. And those happen sometimes, but not always. And so I think that people are often striving for there's got to be this ideal win-win. Well, again, this is what I noticed as far when I first had kids was like, I had my twins. I'm struggling in this tug of war. I'm trying to figure out how to accommodate all these different demands. And I stop and I think, gosh, like I study both and there has to be this ideal win-win. And again, I write about this in the book. Like I stopped and I paused and I thought, well, the ideal integrative, creative integration here is that I open up a daycare down the street for me and work becomes life and life becomes work. And I don't have to leave my kids in the morning and I, you know, don't have to bring work home at night. And I'm, you know, and for some people becoming, you know, working as childcare workers is a great both and in that stage of life. And I knew that that was not where I was going. It was not my both and. And so, you know, instead, and this is what we mean by being dynamic. We talk about the idea of being consistently inconsistent in our decision-making. And we use the metaphor of a tightrope walker to think about this kind of decision-making. And what we mean by that is that a tightrope walker doesn't stay stuck where they are. They go forward. They're looking toward this end goal. They're never 
balanced on the tightrope. They're constantly balancing by making these micro shifts left and right. So they're not overextending left where they're falling off or the other, you know, or overextending right, but they're micro shifting. And it's that kind of experience of micro shifting that can accommodate or that can lead them to the end point. That kind of experience of micro shifting in our decision decision-making that can accommodate competing demands. And this is what we sort of naturally do more of the time in work and family demands, but we don't give ourselves enough credit for doing it and we don't allow ourselves to do it. And it looks like sometimes making decisions that you know, bring us home for the soccer game or the family dinner or the family weekend, and sometimes making decisions that keep us away from those, but are focused on finishing the work project or something like that. And that kind of consistent inconsistency, being able to make those micro shifts allows us in the big picture to accommodate competing ideas. But I think where we get stuck is where we said earlier, we we don't give ourselves the credit for doing that because we feel like we should be consistent. Well, instead, in our research, we find that people who allow themselves to be consistently inconsistent, to say it a little bit more clearly, we're consistent in that we are accommodating an overarching long-term goal that brings together these competing demands. And we're consistently inconsistent in the micro decisions that we're making toward that overarching goal. So there's something about this tightrope walking that allows us to live into these competing demands in a more effective way. So fascinating. I think there's the other element of uncertainty because it's very easy if you say my kids always come first, then you know exactly what to do. You don't have to think. It's you're shooting from the hip. You really don't have to think. But if you have this incom what did you call it? Inconsistent consistent inconsistent. That's the one. Yes, exactly. Yeah. You always are uncertain about what's the right decision. You're probably uncertain because should you be at work while you're with the kids or should you actually be with the kids while you're at work? What is the most surprising thing you've learned about uncertainty from your research? Yeah, I think an important piece is that it is uncertain and we can live into that uncertainty. And in, rather than seeing that uncertainty as problematic, we can see that uncertainty as possible. So it's problematic in that if we make a decision and every decision we make, we're doubting, or that every decision we make, we're feeling like the problem is that we're not making the other decision. The benefit of uncertainty is that it allows us to experiment. Okay, tonight I'm going to try out going to stay at work. Well, if things fall apart at home, then I know that that experiment didn't work and I have to rethink, well, what do I do at home to make sure that things at home are not falling apart while I stay at work? Okay, well, then I can experiment again. Well, does that mean that I have cooked for the entire week, which is something that I often do so that there's food at home so people aren't just scavenging around wondering about food? Or does that, you know, are things falling apart because the kids aren't getting their homework done or because my partner isn't able to, you know, isn't as good at dealing with X, Y, and Z discipline as I might be. And so then the question is, okay, well, what's the experiment that allows me to try a new way of engaging in that so that it's not that I don't stay at work. It's that I've created a different set of resources to enable that other component to be okay. And, you know, again, part of being dynamic is this experimentation mindset, which is, okay, I'm going to keep trying along the way new things 
to be able to tweak and get this right so that I can stay at work for that evening and not feel guilty about what's going home. And by the way, the same is true about coming home. You know, what happens when I come home and all of a sudden work crashes and, you know, people need me for X, Y, and Z? Well, what are the things that I have to put in place at work? Is it my out of office email? Is it making sure that if I am out of the office, there's backup because there might be at my workplace crises that need to be responded to quickly? Is it that how do I create those boundaries so that when I'm at home, things I'm not always worried that things are going to fall apart at work. So I think that A, it's an experimentation mindset. B, it's creating the structures so that each of these different sides can be accommodated along the way so that we're not feeling like in that uncertainty, we're feeling guilty or that we're feeling challenged by it, but we'd rather we see it as a possibility. Fantastic. And I want to just say again, Ferdinand, that's not easy. It's none of this stuff is easy. I do think it's possible. It sounds to me a bit like what you're saying is that it's a bit like a muscle you need to train to live with that uncertainty and you need to experiment. And at the beginning, you'll really struggle accepting the uncertainty and accepting that there's no clear red lines of how to do things. But it will get easier as you practice going with the flow a little bit. I think that's right. There is increasing research that shows that people who can live into uncertainty and not fear, again, Uncertainty is a condition. We bring our emotional state to that condition. So can we acknowledge the uncertainty without having to feel like it brings us down? So, and the research that will show that people who can live into uncertainty tend to be more creative and find new possibilities because we leave things open without having to feel like we have to close them off at any moment. So I think the muscle is partially acknowledging that it feels uncomfortable to be in that uncertainty and we're going to accept that discomfort. Thank you so much. We are coming to the end of our podcast and I would like you to, before I'm asking you my last question, I would like you to share where people can find out more about you, where they can find out about your work. If you just, maybe for those who want to look at the book, maybe if you just repeat the exact title and where to find it as well, that would be helpful. Yes. The book is Both and Thinking, Embracing Creative Tensions to Solve Your Toughest Problems. And they can find that wherever they buy books. And can find out more about myself and my colleague, Marianne Lewis, and our work and how we've been talking about this idea at www.bothandthinking.net. So bothandthinking.net, we've consolidated, brought a bunch of those ideas together, and we would be more than thrilled to hear people's reactions as they're working through these ideas, particularly in this challenging space of parenting. Thank you so much. And for my last question, if someone is inspired by what they've heard now and they want to try two or three things this week that take no more than five minutes to live with the creative tension of work and family life, what would you advise them to do? Or if you can think of only one, that's fine as well. So one quick thing they might be able to experiment with this week. Yes. Well, I do think that the first step is to notice these competing demands and change the question. And it sounds so simple, and indeed it is the initial simple first step, but just shifting from, oh, am I going to be focused on work or focused on home, or how am I going to think about this tension, to how can I accommodate this need that my kids need me and my work needs me? How can I accommodate that? 
which will invite in all kinds of different ways of thinking about resources and possibilities. So I do think that's the first step. And I think the second step is noticing that we're all in this together, that we've got to recognize the discomfort and find comfort in the discomfort. And here I would just invite people to start by saying yes to the discomfort, owning it, recognizing it, and then sharing it with other people so that we're not so lonely in that difficult space of the kinds of choices that we have to make when we're navigating parenting and careers alongside one another, knowing that that is a shared experience. Fantastic. Thank you very much, Wendy. My pleasure. Thank you. I hope this podcast has been useful to you, has given you new food for thought and maybe some new ideas. And if you'd like to get further involved, you could do that, for example, by joining our fellowship program. It's a really awesome career development program, which is all about making sure you can fulfill your career dreams while also having your little ones in tow and not feeling you have to apologize for it. You can find details about it on latestplus.org.uk. And, you know, in practical terms, you get access to inspirational role models, you get a personal senior leader mentor, you get support with practical challenges such as using, you know, how do you say no, managing your workload. But most importantly, it's going to give you time to think. In fact, it's going to make you think about what you want in your career and family life. And it's going to make you do that with some amazing peers who've all been carefully selected because they want to support other parents to continue to progress their careers, but also they you know, come from diverse backgrounds, but not be part of a supportive community. So if you want to join and have a chat and be part of something, I guess and the podcast is real, but something realer than podcast, then please have a look on, on the platform. You can also get involved in our free events. So we have one coming up now, 11th of January, which is about returning to work after maternity, share parental adoption leave. If you are in that situation, it's free, so you can definitely check it out. If you are in that situation or your, uh, your friends are, then please direct them there. All the details are on leadersplus.org.uk forward slash events. And thank you to everyone who's already supported me with this podcast. I've been really pleased to see how many people have shared it. If you believe that the world of podcasting should be slightly less male-dominated and you think it's not okay that 70% or so of the top 10% of shows are run by male hosts, then I would be extremely grateful for your support. If you can share it with three to four friends or leave a five-star review, that would really help with the visibility and I'm super grateful for it. Thank you very much and see you next week.